People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Welcome to another episode of Premier League Insights, the podcast that combines performance data and information from the betting market to help inform your predictions and find value in the odds. I'm Ben Cronin and with me today, as he has been since the start of the season, is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. Jake, a bit of a break after the the hectic schedule before with some some international soccer. Are you you well rested and, and ready to get back into the Premier League? Yeah, um, I've had to try and avoid gouging my eyes out at this international football, though, because it is really bad to watch. Um, You know, if you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know that I'm not a big fan of the international football, especially friendlies in the Nations League. So I can't wait to get stuck into some proper football in the Premier League this weekend. Well, yeah, it hasn't hasn't been great, has it, the the international break? But let's look at the positives. We have got Premier League back. And from from an InfoGoal perspective, you're... You're actually coming into game week nine in some good form, uh, according to our predictions challenge. You had that, the great pick a couple of weeks back in in the Leicester Wolves game where you went with the under one point five. Um, yeah, I need to thank Jamie Vardy for that. Don't I? <laughs> <laughs> Missing uh, that penalty. That's it. Um, and then obviously Pinnacle didn't do too well. I think we we went with the Wolves win on that one, but both of us did have a good result in the Manchester City Liverpool game. Info goal was on Liverpool or the draw, and another missed penalty that maybe came to to save you there but the the both teams to score for pinnacle pulled through um but you ready to get into our fixtures for this week yeah let's get started cool our first fixture for game week nine is newcastle versus chelsea chelsea uh they're coming into this in some decent form they had a bit of a a shaky start to the season with some of the the easier games shall we say that, that people would have expected more from them from them um they have actually only lost once this season and that was to liverpool Everyone was talking about their their struggles at the back, um, but but since Mendy came in for Kepa, they've they've actually looked pretty good. They've only conceded one goal in six games in all competitions. They do have what looks like to me anyway one of the the best attacks in the league on paper, but it just hasn't quite clicked yet. And they they they've got a lot of good individual players that have had the odd good game. I mean, Ziyech has, has looked really good since he's come in, but the likes of Havertz, Werner, we haven't had that performance where everyone has really sort of clicked together. But they're coming up against one of the worst defenses in the league in in Newcastle, a team that have have also been pretty lucky this season. They could or should find themselves a lot lower down the table were it not for a, a couple of fortunate draws. I know the one against Spurs certainly sticks out in my mind. Um, I think there was one not too. Wolves again was the other one where it's kind of late on they got that draw as well. Um, Pinnacle has Chelsea pretty short in this one, one point five zero, so it's around a sixty five percent win probability. Um, it leaves Newcastle with around fourteen percent chance of the win at six point nine four, and the draw gets the remaining twenty one percent chance at odds of four point six four. The goal mark here is is a little lower than you might expect at two point five and three. There is money for the over, but perhaps betters are. Maybe a little bit tentative with with Chelsea's big attacking players yet to to all come together. As I said before, before for that that big performance, what do you uh, what do you think of the odds for this one? Um, I think well, the inform I think is that Chelsea are a little bit too short at the current prices. 
I think that's fair as well. I know you know we're not Newcastle's biggest fans um, on this podcast, especially Steve Bruce and the way that he sets his team up. But um, they have shown signs, especially in home matches, that they are capable of putting in a, a decent performance or two. You know, you have to think to that that home win against Everton most recently, in which they racked up nearly two point eight expected goals and allowed just one point four. So they are capable of, of putting in a decent performance um, at St James's Park. The last match. Obviously, was far from a decent performance against Southampton. They barely, barely even turned up on that occasion, racking up to 0.3 expected goals. But if you look at their uh, the home process so far this season, they're averaging 1.57 expected goals for um, and 1.48 expected goals against per game. So they've actually got a positive xG process um, at St James's Park, which is um, it is impressive and. You look at the actual numbers in comparison. They've they've conceded two point two five goals per game. Um, so basically, they've been very unfortunate to have conceded the the amount of goals that they have um, at the home home ground. So there is plenty of reasons to be optimistic um, about Newcastle's chances here. Um, you know, that one of the things that, that, like I said, we always talk about on here is is the way that Newcastle set up and the system that they operate with against these big teams does mean that that they end up just basically sitting back and, and trying to play on the counter-attack. And obviously, we, we know that Chelsea have shown vulnerabilities to the counter-attack early on in the season, but so recently anyway, that, that, that hasn't been the case at all. You know, Manchester United are another team that do like to counter-attack and Chelsea really didn't let them do anything on that day. Um, and, you know, against tough teams that do sit in and, and try and be hard to beat, they, they really did make light work of Burnley and Sheffield United with, with comfortable victories. So, um, I think it's quite an interesting match, intriguing in particular, to see how this Chelsea team deal with this Newcastle team because Newcastle have been an awkward um, opponent for not just Chelsea but quite a few of the big teams uh, in recent years. I think last season in particular, Newcastle actually beat Chelsea in this game. Um, it was a, a very late Isaac Hayden goal that won it on that day. But that um, that shot map and the XG total from that that match does sort of sum up how Newcastle tend to play against these teams. It, it finished one point zero three to two point three seven uh, in Chelsea's favour. So Newcastle simply just sitting in, riding the look. Um, goalkeeper, I think Debravka on the day making a couple of big saves. Chelsea not taking their chances, uh, and Newcastle smashing, grabbing effectively. And uh, I won't be surprised to see something similar here. Although I do think this Chelsea team is is much better this time around. And one of the key things that I have noticed looking through all the data in this international break is that Chelsea have gone from one of the the, the least clinical teams in the Premier League last season to one of the most clinical this season. They've scored 20 times from chances equating to 13.8 expected goals. So that overperformance is, is definitely something that if we'd have seen that last season, they probably would have been in, in with a title chance last season because the process was uh, was really impressive. Their process last season was actually better than what they're showing at the start of this season. Um, although the defensive process is marginally improved, 1.08 expected goals against per game. That's undoubtedly been helped by Eduard Mendy coming in. Obviously, hasn't been um, tested too much, really, given the op- opponents that he's faced, but um, just seems as though just his calmness and, and his aura um, has, has settled that back line. Obviously, we know that Kepa does like to throw the the occasional one in. So having someone who defenders trust behind them is is huge in, uh, in terms of shoring up that back line. Um, but like you said, they've not really clicked in attack just yet. They're, they're averaging two and a half goals per game, but their expected goals four per game is just at 1.73. So they are overperforming by around 0.8 uh, goals per game. So that's something that that may not continue, but 
I do think that the, the, the attacking players that they have brought in are of a much higher quality than the ones that they had last season. The likes of Werner, much more clinical than um, obviously Tammy Abraham, who led the line for the majority of last season. Um, Zieta is coming as well. He's a very clinical player. Um, and so is Kai Havertz. So I think that there is a recipe there for Chelsea to do really well. Like you said, though, we yet to see them all click at the same time. I think this will be a game um, in which we should see pretty much one-way traffic. Um, Chelsea just attacking Newcastle with Newcastle trying to break. Um, whether they'll be able to do that or not remains to be seen because, I did, like I said, Chelsea do look to be a little bit um, smarter in particular in those transition periods um, since well, since the 3-3 draw against Southampton in which Southampton had um, had their way with them. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. In terms of in terms of bet that, that, that I particularly like, there isn't too much in this game that's standing out to me. Like I said, Chelsea look a little bit too short. We're giving them a 59% chance of winning, so there's value in opposing Chelsea. Maybe getting Newcastle with a, a plus one and a half goal head start. Um, I think on Pinnacle, that's priced up uh, at around 1.65. So that's short enough, really, for plus one and a half, um, although that would be a value play. Um the over-unders were 53% chance of the overs. Markets at 56% chance. So potentially going with a with a low-scoring game um, is also a value play. And I could see that happen. I could see a Chelsea winning this one or 2-0 quite comfortably. Um, both teams to score is priced up pretty much in line with, with what we're expecting um, from our end. So, yeah, I think if I was to have a bet in this game, it would be under 2.5. But there isn't too much that, that really tickles my fancy um, in terms of, something that's screaming at me in this match. Well, you mentioned there about if, if Chelsea had been as clinical as they are this season, sort of last season, they could have been in with the a title challenge. Is it something, we'll obviously get on to, to Liverpool shortly in, in their kind of uh, injury crisis and, and Manchester City don't look as good as, as many would have expected. The odds have moved around a little bit in terms of the outrights. Is there... Do you kind of put Chelsea in with a better chance than you would have at the start of the season now when... How likely is it, do you think, that we could see that title race extend beyond Manchester City and Liverpool once we get a few more games under our belts and, and things begin to settle down? Yeah, I mean, I think at the start of the season, we had Chelsea down as a, I think, off the top of my head, between 3 and 6% chance of winning the Premier League title. Um, we've run the Sims in this international break. We've got Liverpool at 45.2%, Manchester City at 45%, and Chelsea have jumped up to 9%. So, um, what we've seen is Liverpool's chance of winning the title shortened. I think uh, has increased. Sorry, they were they were at thirty six percent at the start of the season. They've jumped to forty five point two percent. They're now favourites on our model, and Chelsea have also jumped um, up to up to nine percent from around. I think it was I think it was six percent. Uh, Manchester United have actually dropped to three percent. Understandably, Spurs have increased to around two percent. We're still not fancy in Jose Mourinho's side just yet. Um, but yeah, as as things stand, that if if things keep going the same manner with as you said, Liverpool having their injury issues. Um, they've still been really impressive, as we'll get on to. Manchester City having their issues in attack. Then Chelsea could really, um, you know, look like a, a decent team in terms of lifting the trophy. But I think there's a long way to go yet. And I think that especially these next couple of uh, matches, they've got uh, a tougher schedule than what they faced, especially before the break. Uh, I think after this Newcastle game, they've got um, they've got... Spurs at home, then Leeds at home, Everton away, Wolves away, um, which is a, a pretty tough run of four matches with three Champions League games split in those as well. So uh, 
we're going to learn a lot more about Chelsea over these next couple of weeks. The same will be said for Tottenham, who I'm sure we'll get onto um, in a couple of weeks, but uh, in a couple of minutes. But yeah, Chelsea, uh, the chances of increase of winning the, the Premier League title are increasing, um, just purely because of the, the chaotic results that have gone on around them, and, and the, the, obviously the occurrences with teams taking points off off each other. All right, well, next up, we got Aston Villa versus Brighton. And we, we actually had Aston Villa as, as title contenders, I think, at one point of the media and, and kind of general football population are, are to, be, to be believed. But they were then back to their old selves and, and looking more like a, a mid-table team. Now they're back to apparently being able to challenge for the Europa League. I think if ever overblown early season reaction could be summed up in the team, it would probably be Aston Villa this season. Um they're good, don't get me wrong, but they're also a lot better than last season, it has to be said. But I still think they'll do well to to break into the top half come the end of the season. Brighton, on the other hand, uh, are doing pretty much what we've come to expect from them since Graham Potter came in. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but almost every game bar the Tottenham defeat, they've actually won the XG battle in. The process looks good and they're, they're doing enough to win games when they're playing, but they're just not winning them. <laughs> um 16th in the actual table with just one win. Fifth according to expected goals and the, the info goal expected goals table. Um, I think their hopes of top half are already dashed after such a poor start, but I personally can't see them being in a, in a in the relegation mix for too much longer. The odds have this closer than, than some people might expect. Um, Villa are still the favourites at 2.27, so they get over a 40% chance of, of getting a win. Um, Brighton aren't too far behind, around 30% chance for them of uh, of getting three points. Um, and the total is the same as our last game, 2.5 and 3, but it's it's the under that's seeing the most interest in this one. It's it's certainly an intriguing one, Jake, and I'm interested to see how it how it plays out. But how do things look from a from an info goal perspective for this one? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that I want to point, uh, point out and talk about really. is uh, One is obviously... You've not exactly written off Aston Villa's chances of Europe, but you've put a little bit of a dampener on on the hopes of, of the Villa nation. Um, but I will just point out that in terms of um, strength of schedule, and we to calculate our strength of schedule, we'd look we take into account the average forecast position of of the next six opponents. Um, based on that metric, Aston Villa have the easiest run of six uh, next six matches in the Premier League. Um, their face the average uh, forecast position of opponents that they are facing in the next six matches is 14.3. So after after these six matches, they could still be well in that hunt for, um, well, at least have the hat in the ring for a top six or even a top four spot because they have got some really kind fixtures. Obviously, they've got Brighton, who we are forecasting to finish 16th. Um, they play West Ham. After that, who we forecast in eleventh? Newcastle, we forecast in fifteenth, um, and then the toughest game in the six-game stretch is uh, against Wolves, forecasting to finish seventh, and then they play against um, Burnley, seventeenth in our forecast table, and then West Brom. So they've got a really good run of fixtures to put more points on the board, and um, obviously they're coming off the back of a really, really impressive win at Arsenal, a thumping three-nil success that uh, not many people saw coming. I think. When we spoke about this game, we or that game, we, we thought that Villa were perhaps being uh, underestimated slightly because of their defensive process. But it was actually their attacking numbers that, that really um, hurt Arsenal. They're, obviously, they've got plenty of attacking talent now at their disposal. And I think they're in a, a pretty good place to actually cause a few um, a few upsets. Obviously, they've already beaten Liverpool 7-2. Um, that 3-0 win against Arsenal was, was another 
result that sort of sent shockwaves around uh, the Premier League. And I do like the makeup of that Villa team. I think that Dean Smith's put together a really good squad, a really good first eleven. Um, it's very balanced. Um, everyone knows the role, uh, and they're definitely a better team than they were this time last season. I mean, based on expected points so far this season, they sit seventh in our in our table, and that's having played a game fewer than than the rest of the teams above them. So um, there's every chance that they could realistically sit for third or fourth in the expected points per game table, which uh, which is mightily impressive. And obviously, their process has been um, has been solid. Also, they're averaging around 1.9 expected goals for per game, which is a, a huge, huge improvement on last season, which was around 1.35. Um, and their expected goals against per games at 1.35. And if you remember last season, before the um, the COVID-19 outbreak, they were averaging around 2.4 expected goals against per game. So the turnaround that we've seen at Villa is is astonishing, really. And, and I think that Dean Smith deserves a whole lot of credit for, for what's gone on there. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Villa still in and around that top six after the next six matches based on the schedule. Um, and then Brighton, obviously, <clears throat> they're a team that we like uh, in for goal. We've spoken about them at length on this podcast, how they, uh, they've they got a really impressive process. Um, they play in a really attractive manner as well, which obviously two massive pluses, but the results haven't been going for them. They're, they're winless in six in the Premier League. But as you mentioned, they, they've won the XG battle in quite a few of their matches. I think it's five of their eight league games they've won the expected goals battle. Um, obviously, opening day against Chelsea, if you take Chelsea's penalty away, they won that XG battle as well. Um, so th- there's some really, really impressive signs there. Um, they sit fifth in our XG table based on expected points. Um, they sit sixth in terms of expected goal difference as well, which is another really um, crucial metric to, to sort of gauge where a team is at. Um, and they boast an underlying process of a team that we expect to see in the top half. 1.5 expected goals for per game um, and 1.2 expected goals against per game. So effectively, we've got two teams here that are performing at a top half level facing off at Villa Park. Um, and our probabilities, we're giving Villa a 39% chance of winning, uh, suggests that these two teams, if they played at a, a neutral venue, would, would actually be very, very evenly matched and, and probably be a pick and match. So... Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I hope it's on uh, TV, so I do want to watch this one just to see where these two teams are at. Um, it's going to be. It's, I think Brighton, in particular, especially away from home, they have struggled in terms of getting results. But the process, even away from the Amex, has been uh, very solid. One point three five expected goals for per game, one point three three expected goals against. Um, obviously, that you can compare that to the home process where they're averaging. 1.65 expected goals for per game. So they are a little bit more cautious on the road than they are um, at home. And I think that that could well play into a, a tight game. Obviously, three of Brighton's last four matches have ended in draws. All three of those draws have been um, low-scoring affairs. And I think that this could be something similar. Um, where I'm looking at opposing the goals um, at Villa Park. Obviously, Villa, many people will be looking at their results and seeing, obviously, 7-2, thinking that there's going to be goals in this. And Brighton are a very open, expansive team, but Brighton need points on the board as opposed to being uh, open, expansive and, and attractive. So I think that, I bet that I think that I, I can get on board with is, is under two and a half. The model's got 50-50 on over-under. Market's 54% chance of over two and a half. So there is around a 4% margin um, based on our model in terms of backing the under 2.5 goals. Both teams to score is a very short price, um, around 1.6. If 
59% on the market. We're at 54%. Um, but I wouldn't advise backing against both teams to score because I could easily see a 1-1 draw here. But if I were to pick a bet in this one, I think under 2.5 is definitely where I would go in terms of a value selection. Um, and I think it's going to be a really interesting match to watch. Right, so now we've got Tottenham versus Manchester City and this one's Pinnacle's highlight fixture for this weekend. Um, I think if... Uh, if you told people listening to this podcast that one of these teams would be second and, and one would be just about in the top half after seven or eight games, I'm pretty sure eight or nine out of ten would have put Manchester City in second spot and, and Tottenham down around mid-table. Um, however, it's a poor start for City, a, an impressive start for Spurs, and it means that Mourinho's side are, are just one point off top and, and even above Liverpool at this moment in time. I think for Tottenham as well, credit where credit's due, they have looked a lot better this season. If if things had fallen for them, I'm thinking kind of the Newcastle draw, the West Ham draw, they'd actually have a bit of a gap open up to the to the rest of the league as well. How sustainable that is, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but Manchester Manchester City have, have had their intra- injury issues. Um, they haven't really quite been clicking in attack without Jesus and, and Aguero at the start of the season. Um, struggling to create chances, but they are scraping results. The The missed penalty against Liverpool obviously proved costly, um, but it's another game where they didn't really create much else. Another game below 1.5 XG for them. I think on the flip side, the positive to take from that is that they also limited Liverpool to a penalty and, and some low quality chances. So at least the the long-standing defensive issues might be beginning to get sorted out. We're almost seeing a, a, a different Manchester City now than the one that would sort of go in and, and blow teams away. They aren't as short as, as people might think for this. Um, certainly not as short as they would be had it been played earlier on in the season and we'd seen the performances from these two teams. But they're, they're priced at 1.84, so they still have over 50% chance of the win. Spurs get 23% uh, win probability with their odds of 4.25. I would say Mourinho knows how to beat Man City, but I think he just knows how to get lucky against them. Do you, do you think we're going to see a different game plan here or, or will City have to once again take the game to Spurs to to beat them and, and try and hold off Spurs on the attack or the, the odd chance that, that Spurs then seem to always manage to convert and, and get away with something? Yeah, I think it's probably going to be more the latter with City dominating the football and, and Spurs trying to counter-attack with the pace that they've got. Obviously, Son, Kane, uh, whether it's Bale or Lamella, got really, really potent attacking threat on the counter, counter-attack in particular. Uh, and they've got ball players now in midfield, have Spurs. You know, Hoiberg is happy to just sit there and, and break play up. And then you've got the likes of Ndombele if he plays. Um, Sissoko's got the legs to get up and down. Celso play passes through the lines. So, yeah, I think this is another really interesting game, but um, you know, I, I did a little bit of research and a little bit of uh, digging for an article in the international break. It looked at both of these two teams because both teams have got some really interesting points to to sort of draw out of the data. And the, the headline I used for the Tottenham section was "Don't get away with Tottenham, don't get carried away with Tottenham's improvement." Um, obviously, they have improved. That that is understandable and it's obvious to the eye test. But the underlying process has improved massively from last season. So. After Mourinho took over in 1920, they were averaging 1.4 expected goals for per game, 1.54 expected goals against per game. Um, so far this season, for eight matches, they've averaged 2.15 expected goals for per game and just 1.23 expected goals against per game. So 
that's something that really should be celebrated from uh, a Tottenham perspective because that is a hugely impressive turnaround in quite a short space of time. And it shows that Mourinho is taking them in the right direction. But uh, here's the but for Tottenham fans. Uh, it's worth bearing in mind that, obviously, I've mentioned the, the, the way we calculate the strength of schedule. Based on average forecast positions of the opponents faced, Tottenham have had the easiest opening run of fixtures in the Premier League. So no team has had an easier start to this Premier League campaign uh, than Tottenham based on average forecast position. So while there have been improvements, those underlying numbers could be slightly inflated by an easier schedule. Um, the next six games will provide a, a truer reflection um, as to where this Tottenham team is at, because based on the same metric, they've got the toughest uh, next six by a long way. The average forecast position of the next six opponents is 5.5. That is by far and away the toughest. Uh, I think the next next worst schedule is Fulham with eight, uh, an average forecast position of eight. So Spurs' next six matches are, are really going to define their season, if you like, at this early stage, because they play Manchester City, obviously. Then they play Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Leicester and Crystal Palace sandwiched in between. So that's really going to test their, inverted commas, title credentials. Um, and obviously, in between those matches, they've got Europa League games as well. So it's a really testing time for this Tottenham team. Um, but they have the squad to deal with it. Whether they're good enough to to sort of take points off these bigger and better teams remains to be seen. Um, but this, you know, this is a good opportunity for them against Manchester City that aren't really clicking. Um, the headline for the Manchester City section is: Have they taken a step backwards in uh, in attack? And the answer is yes. So at this same point last season, through seven matches, Manchester City had scored 27 goals. This season, they've scored 10. Their expected goals return uh, of 10.7 expected goals for actually tallies with their actual goals scored, showing that it isn't a case of Guardiola's side missing the chances. They're just not creating them at the same rate as what we've come to expect. So over the last five seasons, since Pep Guardiola came in at Manchester City, their expected goals for per game... Uh, was steadily on the increase from 16-17, whereas at 2.14. Um, and obviously last season was their best attacking season, according to expected goals. They averaged 2.67 expected goals for per game. This season, they're averaging just 1.53 expected goals for per game, which is um, by far and away their worst attacking process since Pep Guardiola took charge. It's actually 0.61 expected goals for per game, less than what they averaged in Pep Guardiola's debut campaign. And that season saw them draw a lot of criticism in terms of, Obviously, they were getting beat pretty much every other week. Um, they looked, well, they, they, they did play some good attacking football. But this season, they, they are obviously much more focused on keeping things tight at the back. Um, and obviously, we have seen an improvement in their defensive process. They've put Ruben Diaz and Nymeric Report together. It looked like a decent partnership. And um, obviously, the game against Liverpool... It was an absolute chaotic first half where there was a lot going on, but there wasn't actually a lot of big chances or, or any throughout the match, in fact. Barring the, uh, excluding the two penalties, I think Manchester City created just 0.67 expected goals, um, excluding the penalty. Liverpool created just 0.42 expected goals. So for two high-powered attacks, that was a really poor attacking performance from both um, and a draw was ultimately a fair result. But even prior to that, they struggled to, to really put teams to the sword, the likes of West Ham, Sheffield United, uh, where they've won, won narrowly or been held because they failed to create too many good chances. So it's really going to be interesting to see what Manchester City side we get 
post-international break. I think Gabriel Jesus will be better for uh, obviously getting a few games under his belt after injury. I think Sergio Aguero could be fit for this game as well, which could be key. But these two teams, are it looks as though heading in, in opposite directions in terms of their underlying process with Manchester City's getting slightly worse and Spurs getting slightly better. But as I did mention with Spurs, they, they've had a, a pretty easy run of fixtures based on um, on our average forecast position. So this is their first real test of the season, if you exclude the Manchester United game at Old Trafford. So it'll be interesting to see what we get from both. The model is liking the goals in this. We're over two and a half. We're given a 66% chance um, of over 2.5 goals in this match. Market's at 58% chance. So there's a decent chunk of value there in backing over 2.5 goals. But I'd prefer to go with both teams to score, um, really. 65% chance on the model. 60% 60% on the market uh, and I, I, I can see even though City have improved defensively uh, since that Leeds match in particular I do think that Spurs have got enough attacking quality to get on, on the score sheet and make it an uncomfortable afternoon for Manchester City and, and obviously a point would be a really good result for Tottenham but both teams score is where I'm going for this uh, this game. You mentioned there about the, the first real test for, for Tottenham and that's that's why Pinnacle's actually signing with, with Manchester City in this one potentially there Spurs have been a little bit sort of overblown in in their performances and as you said Jesus kind of back and fit Aguero now in the mix the the injury to Sterling doesn't look too bad and he should still be playing um so Pinnacle's going for a a straight Manchester City win in this one right well our next game is Manchester United versus West Brom um plenty has been made of of Manchester United struggles this season just three wins from their seven games not many decent performances in there either. Um, I've been pretty hard on them and I, I know you have a slightly different view in that there have been some signs of promise for you. Maybe a bit of breathing room for Solskjaer after the, the Everton win, but they really need to string some decent results together if he's to to still have a job at Christmas, I think. It's obviously a good chance for them to to start well here. They've got West Brom who are the worst team in the league by quite some way. Um, they aren't actually bottom thanks to the three draws that they've got from their eight games, but the the process is just absolutely shocking. And I know I, I'm probably repeating myself here week after week, but 0.6 expected goals for per game and 1.975 against. Um, they did put up 0.98 xG against Spurs in in game week eight, so by far their best performance we've we've seen. Um, still not over one expected goals, but maybe some some kind of hope of an improvement there. Um, and that was obviously, if you watch the game, it was built around kind of soaking up the pressure, trying to get something on the counter. Um, for this one, the odds suggest it should be a, a routine home win for Manchester United. Pinnacle traders make them 1.322, so a, a 73% chance of a win for them. West Brom are a 10.7. Uh, that gives them less than a 10% chance of getting their first win of the season. The goal market for this is another one at 2.5 and 3. Betters like the over, perhaps a, a 3 0, 4 0 is on the cards. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, it's hard to really disagree with any of that. Um, I think that we're going to see a pretty comfortable Manchester United win. I know you've been harsh on on United, and um, you know they've, they've deserved plenty of criticism. Some of their performances this season have been shocking, but. Um, you know, I just think that they've been lacking rhythm, and uh, that only comes with playing matches. And I think that that re- reaction against Everton was exactly what uh, what the doctor ordered. Really, three one win at Everton, very controlled performance. I thought the, the way that they played, 
limited Everton to just 0.49 expected goals against, which is a really, really solid performance uh, defensively. And, and it's something that we've actually seen quite a lot recently, um, believe it or not, from Manchester United. They, I think against Newcastle, they allowed us 0.9 expected goals. Against Chelsea, it was at 0.26. You know, you can even include PSG in there. 1.6 is not a bad defensive performance at the part of France. Uh, Leipzig, 0.46 expected goals against. Arsenal, 1.07 expected goals against, with 0.8 of that coming from a penalty. Basic Shahir, 0.84 expected goals against. Everton, 0.49. So their defence is playing to a very high standard at the moment based on expected goals. The fact that they're conceding goals, though, means that that's sort of been overlooked slightly. And um, I think that that is something that probably works in our favour here because you've got a decent Manchester United back line that, that are playing to a high standard. Obviously, Luke Shaw is going to be missing for this, but I think Alex Telles is, is off the COVID list now. He should be um, fit and available to play in this and play at left back. Obviously, Maguire should be well rested because he was, I think he was suspended against Belgium after his red card. I'm not sure if that carries over but um, it, it, to, to the Iceland match, but he should be pretty well rested. Wan-Bissaka, obviously, um, also should be well rested having not even received a call up, so the, the defensive line is is in a decent decent place, and I think West Brom's attack obviously means that it's highly unlikely that they're going to score at least. Well, <laughs> they, they've got a chance of scoring on the counter attack because that's the only opportunities that they're going to get. But the way that they're playing in attack, creating just zero point six expected goals for per game, is a really really tragic number. And and as I mentioned on the last podcast, it is on pace to be a, a record for the worst um, attacking season based on expected goals in the Premier League since 2014, which is when Infocol started collecting data. So there's a lot to to really not like about this West Brom attacking side. They've not scored in four of the last five uh, matches in the Premier League. I think they'll struggle to break this Manchester United team down. I think it's just a case of, can Manchester United break West Brom down? Because West Brom will play in, in that defensive block like they did against Tottenham, make it very difficult for for United and, and it'd be interesting to see what team Solskjaer picks. Does he pick, obviously against Everton and Arsenal, he's played with a double pivot of Fred and McTominay uh, with Fernandez just in front. Does he pick just one of those? Uh, maybe maybe Matic, put him in there, play Fernandez and Pogba to give them a bit of extra creativity in there to break West Brom down. Fortunately, he's got options, um, which is, you know, really... Uh, especially in this really stressful period of, of the season where games are coming thick and fast. The fact that he's got options is, is a massive bonus. Um, so, yeah, it's always going to be a matter of can Manchester United break West Brom down rather than the other way around. And, and I think they will. I think they'll win this game. I won't put anyone off backing Manchester United to win to nil, but um, you know we've found a, a huge chunk of value in, in backing both teams to score no in this game with the model giving a 64% chance of BTTS no Market's at 53%. So 11% margin there of backing both teams to score no. And, and that's definitely something that, that I think is probably one of my selections of the week. I, I think that West Brom will really struggle at Old Trafford. Right, well, let's move on to Fulham versus Everton. It's our, it's our first Sunday game and Fulham were, I mean, they were down there with West Brom a few games ago in terms of looking just, in a word, terrible. Um, <laughs> they still are. They are still only one <laughs> Yeah, I know. They're one place. That's it. They're they're one place above them in the table. But I think if you look at the two of them, things do look a bit different for Fulham now. They they've started to improve ever so marginally. I mean, I'm personally so grateful for for Adamola Lookman for <laughs> what is possibly the worst penalty I think I've ever seen. 
Um, but obviously that costs Fulham an important point. Um, little by little, maybe improvements are getting made and that's the only way you can look at it for them. They they obviously need to improve quite dr- drastically, but we'll see how they get on in this game. I mentioned Aston Villa and the, the over-hyping that's, that's going on. It's probably even worse for Everton, or it was at one point. They... They drifted into something silly for the title, but they're, they're now winless in four. Obviously, after winning their first four games, they're on a run of three losses on the bounce. That They need to get a win here and improve that process. They are one of those teams in the league that are, they see a, a really big drop from the first 11 to their, to their backup players. Richarlison, Dean, uh, a fully fit Hamas Rodriguez. That's where they're at now, and that should really make a difference for them. Pinnacle has them at just about odds on on the road here. We've got them at 1.952. So they're, they're a touch above a 50% chance of the win. Um, Fulham are 3.99, so just under 25% chance with with 26% on the draw at 3.89. Yet another one with a, a 2.5 and 3 mark in the, the goals mark here. And it's another one where betters like the over. What do you reckon, Jake? Is there is a value taking Everton to to bounce back and get their first win in four? Do you think? No, no, too short, too short. I, I, odds on, especially they are too short. The model's got them at forty four percent chance of winning, so nowhere near the price that they currently are. Um, yeah, I think you, you've nailed everything there. Really, you just said the the drop off in quality from the starting eleven is is what is going to cost Everton this season. It's something I was worried about. Um, the, the starting eleven is is up there with. I could definitely compete for a top four, top six berth, in my opinion. But as soon as a couple of those players are missing, then you've seen that it's all sort of fallen apart. And um, I think Richarlison is a massive player for them. Obviously, Hammers uh, sort of did his best against Manchester United, but you could tell that he wasn't fully fit. Um, and it looks as though Alan might be injured as well on international duty, which is another huge blow for them. So, yeah, it's all crumbling away for Everton after such a good start. Uh, having said that, the, the run of fixtures after that last international break was far from easy. Playing Liverpool, Manchester United, and obviously away at Southampton, Newcastle is not really an easy place to go either. So um, this is really the first game out. Well, in in the last five in particular, where you would sort of expect them to go there and, and make a real impression and, and win the game quite handily. But as you've said, there's been slow improvements at Fulham, uh, and they do deserve a little bit of credit for that performance um, against West Brom was very controlled and, and they got a, a thoroughly deserved victory um, and they would have got a point at West Ham had Adam Luckman actually you know, tried to take the penalty like a proper person rather than trying to be really clever like Sergio Ramos. Um, but yeah, I think that they're building a, a decent looking team there at Fulham. Um, obviously Luckman has come in and he's actually looked pretty good. Barring that penalty miss, he's given them something different, an injection of pace. Yeah, you've got a decent bench all of a sudden with Loftus Cheek being able to come off, um, even Cavaliero as as a decent player. So they they are trending in a positive direction, and in terms of underlying process, they have got the the best underlying process in the uh, out of those bottom four at the moment that find themselves cut adrift. But as I was mentioning um, about Tottenham having an easy schedule through the first six uh, first eight matches, Fulham have ranked as the third easiest um, schedule through those first eight matches as well. So. Perhaps that's got something to do with the fact that they maybe boast marginally better underlying numbers than than their their rivals, and and this next eight matches in particular is, is uh, no next six matches. It's going to be a much tougher test for them with them having the second toughest um, schedule of, of the upcoming six matches with 
I think the next four matches in particular, they face teams that are expected to uh, forecast to finish in the top nine. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a really testing period for them. But given the way that Everton have been playing, this is a, a decent opportunity for them to spring an upset and, and perhaps get three points on the board. Everton, I think it all just depends on team team news, really, for me with Everton. If, if they've got that starting 11, 90% there, then I would fancy them to go here and, uh, and get a victory. But defensively, they've looked really shaky um, post-international break. They've allowed 2.85 expected goals against to Liverpool. Obviously, the Southampton game was was over. Before, I think Southampton scored twice from their first two or three shots on goal and, and they ended up just cruising. Um, so they didn't create too much. 0.75 expected goals in that one. Newcastle at 2.78 and, and Manchester United at 1.81. So question marks defensively for sure about uh, about this Everton team after what, what was such a really impressive start. Um, and their process is, is now sort of ground to a halt a little bit. It's, it's, I think their, their expected goal difference now has them sat below the likes of Brighton, um, West Ham, Aston Villa, uh, which is a little bit of a worry, really, after such a good start. And um, I, I think this is a, another potential banana skin for Everton, with Fulham seemingly trending in a, in a decent direction. So, I mean, based on the value anyway, Fulham or the draw is, is the selection. Um, Fulham... You can get plus 0.5 on the Asian handicap, maybe. Uh, it's at 1.98. That's definitely something that that could get on board with. Maybe getting them on plus one at a shorter price, just to give you a bit of extra security. But um, other than that, like you said, the goal market's pushing to the two and a half, three. The model's going the other way. We think that the unders is, is the play. Um, we're at 53% chance of under 2.5. Market's at 44%. So decent value in opposing goals. Obviously, Fulham kept it tight against West Ham, limited them very well. Um, and it'd be interesting to see if they can do that against against an Everton team that, that have shown that they are uh, a capable attacking unit when they're fit and firing. So, um, yeah, under two and a half is is a, a bet that I, I can get on board with. But I think siding with Fulham um, to get something is probably the way I'd play. And I mentioned Everton uh, alongside Aston Villa in terms of the the hype that surrounded them both at, at different points this season. They're actually Villa are sixth, Everton are a seventh. If you had to to make the call now, straight up head to head, who do you think is going to finish higher out the the two of them at the end of the season? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think probably Aston Villa. I think that they are they're better set up to have, to have a, a decent run at things for the uh, for the whole season. They have got, uh, in my opinion, they've probably got a deeper squad than Everton in terms of the, the the drop-off in quality from player X to player Y isn't as great as it is at Everton. So, yeah, I'd probably say at this moment in time, Villa, I've been really impressed with what Dean Smith's done since the, um, well, post-break, COVID break, that is. I think they've been they've been one of the better teams, uh, definitely a top-half team in the Premier League. So, yeah, I think I probably would side with Aston Villa um, as having the, the better opportunity of finishing higher than Everton. But obviously... That all deter- it's all for me anyway. Determined on whether Everton can keep their starting eleven fix. If they can, then I do still think that they could push for a top six finish. All right. Well, let's let's move on to Sheffield United versus West Ham. And Sheffield United are one of the the three winless teams down the bottom with Burnley and West Brom. Um, just the one draw for for them in eight games, and they actually sit rock bottom in the table. And that's obviously a a far cry from from what we saw last season. They they were pretty consistent last season. They were a little bit lucky early on. Some some talk of Champions League, Europa League, and obviously dropped away. They ultimately regressed, but 
the process when you look at it, it it's dropped from 1.33 expected goals for per game to, to 1.09. Um, and on the defensive side of things, it's gone up from 1.44 XG against per game up to, to 1.73. Some people listening to that, it might not sound like a lot, but that really is the difference between sort of mid-table, just pushing top half and fighting for relegation in the Premier League. I thought they'd be all right initially. It's it's still a relatively small sample. You've got about 80% of the season to go, but it's now one where it's it's really going to be difficult for them and that they're going to look at games like this as as really a must win. Um, West Ham have, I mean, they've gone the other way. They've, they've improved in attack and at the back. Um, when you compare that to, to, to the majority of last season, they have had a few uh, fortunate results, some where they should have got more out of the game, but it just... It just looks like a different team. I really, I don't really know what what else to say. I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting carried away as a fan. But they've got some some of their hard fixtures out of the way. If they can carry on the form that we've seen from them, it could look pretty good for them at Christmas. And I should state that good for a West Ham fan is is just not being around the bottom three. Um, but for this one, the odds favour the away side, West Ham. Uh, they're priced at 2.57, so 37, 38% chance for David Moyes to get another win. Um, Sheffield United are 3.03, so around a 30% win probability for them. It is a low total at 2 and 2.5, pretty split at the moment. Um, is, is there any value on offer here according to the odds, Jake? Yeah, uh, this is a, a really tough game really uh, for, for me to discuss because for as good as West Ham have been, um, I think Sheffield United are, are due a win. I think that their performances have, have warranted more than what they've picked up so far. And I, th- I think the process isn't as bad as what the results are suggesting. And um, you know, they're averaging around um, 1.09 expected goals for per game, which is a massive drop-off on, on what we saw last season, which was around 1.4. Um, and their against total has, has increased quite dramatically from around 1.4 to 1.7. But when you factor in the the level of opponents that they've faced, and the majority of those have come away from home as well, at Chelsea, at Liverpool, um, at Arsenal, then you can sort of understand why that's happened. It, it was a really poor, uh, difficult start to the season. And West Ham have faced a very similar fate uh, in terms of the schedule. But I think West Ham, on paper anyway, have a much better team than Sheffield United do. So um, to see them doing better than Sheffield United isn't a surprise. But... Based on the average forecast position of opponents faced, Sheffield United and West Ham are the two teams that have had the toughest schedule so far, um, which is understandable given you know just reeled off the sort of teams that they've played. But there's been there's been a lot to like about what Sheffield United have done so far. Um, they were unlucky to lose against Leeds at home. Um, they were unlucky to lose at Villa. Their performance at Arsenal deserved at least a point. Um, Obviously, the last three matches they've been absolutely steamrolled against Liverpool, Manchester City, and Chelsea. Uh, two, they're the three best teams in the league based on our um, forecast table. So, I think it's all about confidence for them. Really, they, they look shot at the minute. Um, they need a little bit of a, a kickstart. I think this is another really tough game for them, though, because West Ham, as you said, have posted some really impressive underlying numbers. I think David Moyes is working his magic. Really, their their process given the fact that they've played the toughest schedule in the Premier League, is is absolutely sensational. 1.5 expected goals for per game to 1.28 expected goals against per game. So there, there's a lot to like about West Ham. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, I, that that switch that they've made to a back five has, has really worked in their favour. And um, 
although having said that, I do think that this this opponent in Sheffield United is, is going to be a really tricky one for them to play that back three or back five against, given that Sheffield United know the system much better than West Ham do. So uh, it's going to be an interesting clash. Um, obviously, similar formations. Uh, I, I think the the difficult model at the minute has Sheffield United as, as strong favourites at 40% chance of winning. So there's huge value in backing uh, the Blades to get a win. I wouldn't put anyone off backing that. But personally, I, I'd be looking elsewhere for um, for a bet, just purely because I've, I've been so impressed with what West Ham have, have, have done so far. I don't be surprised to see them go there and, and make a mockery of that price that they're currently at, around 2.5, 2.6. So um, looking elsewhere, the overs, as you said, is, is definitely an outsider. Um, 42% chance of over 2.5 goals on the market. Models at 45%, so suggesting that there is value in, in perhaps chancing over two and a half goals. Um, both teams to score. Again, it's the same value in, in potentially chancing both teams to score. So we, we think there's going to be slightly more goals in this than the market suggests, and that's definitely the way I'd be going, um, even though we do think Sheffield United are a strong value play. I think that, as I've spoken about before, the way the model calculates the ratings is um, is over a course of a season, um, weighted to the most recent 10 to 15 matches. And I think that, that West Ham's current rating is still being slightly held back by their their performances and results at the early part of the David Moyes reign. In terms of the, the weighting of your model and Sheffield United's kind of drop-off, is there, where are you kind of pitching them in terms of the rest of the season? Do you think, do you think they're going to be final or are you sort of concerned that... Eight games in, um, as you said, some difficult fixtures. But but what do you think to what do you think or, or make of the rest of their season? Yeah, it's going to be difficult for them. Um, really difficult. I think the fact that they are struggling so much in attack is a worry. They're, they're not scoring a lot of goals. They've scored four times through eight matches this season. Um, they've they've underscored. They've, they should have scored around nine goals based on expected goals. So they're missing chances, which you can't do at the bottom of the bottom end of the table, um, and. You know they're conceding way more chances than what they were last season. They've conceded goals at a similar rate as what we would expect. But yeah, overall, we at the minute our forecast table, we the, the four teams at the bottom of the current table: Fulham, West Brom, Burnley, and Sheffield United. They make up the four teams uh, at the bottom of our forecast table. So basically, we've got West Brom to finish bottom, Fulham to finish second bottom, and then it really is a toss-up between Burnley and Sheffield United as to who we think is going to go get relegated. And at the moment, we're giving um, Burnley the nod for staying up. We're giving them, making them the the, the finishing fourth in our for, fourth bottom in our forecast table. So um, yeah, we're currently forecasting Sheffield United to finish bottom of the, uh, in the bottom three, which um, is a huge concern. And, and you know, I think we at the start of the season, I think we forecast them to finish around fourteenth or fifteenth. Um, and obviously. At the start of the season, the the difference between fifteenth and eighteenth was not very big at all. So the fact that they are now, you know, however many points, they're nine points behind Leeds, for example, who sit fifteenth, or ten points behind Newcastle, who we we perhaps pitched as as being the fourth worst team at the, at the start of the season, um, is a huge, huge mountain for them to climb. And at the moment, they are struggling to to look as though they're going to climb that mountain and pick up any points whatsoever. So uh, it's going to be a long season for all four of those teams at the bottom, and and it is based on not only what the Infocom model is suggesting, but the, the bookmakers as well. The bookmakers are making it a um, you know a three from four situation with Brighton, I think, priced at around um, five to one to, to go down. So obviously we, we like Brighton quite a lot. We think they're going to stay up quite comfortably. I mean, it's three from four. And unfortunately at the moment, Sheffield United are occupying one of those spots. 
All right, well, now we've got Leeds versus Arsenal. And I think I mentioned in the pod before the international international break just how unpredictable Leeds were. And I think that became even more evident in their, their 4-1 defeat to Crystal Palace. Um, <laughs> it wasn't as one-sided as the scoreline suggests. And, I mean, you have to think if that, that Bamford goal stands where he's kind of pointing where the ball should be and he's, he's given offside, if that goes in or, or counts, then it, it could have been a completely different game. Um, Arsenal had been pretty predictable in terms of the league up until last week. Three one nils in a row, two losses and one win. Um, usually a performance built on a sturdy defence. And, and as you said before, we talked about it. We thought it was going to be one of those tight games against Aston Villa, but they were just dismantled by Aston Villa's attack. The XG figures show it, it to be a close game, um, but Arsenal, as, as usual, as we've seen from them, they didn't really create much apart from the one big chance. Uh, Villa were, were pretty clinical and put their chances away. This one, it does make for a, for an interesting matchup. I, I can't see a goal fest, but one where it's a, a real tactical battle between two managers that are kind of at their opposite ends of the experience spectrum. The odds actually favour Arsenal with a, a 44% win probability, odds of 2.24. Leeds are priced at 3.2 and that gives them a 31% chance of the win and um, surprisingly to me, really, looking at it now, we, we have a total of 2.5 and 3, and there's, there's actually a lot of interest in the over. Who do you think is going to come out on top here, Jake? And, and is there a value bet to be had? Well, hopefully. <laughs> this is Infogol's game of the week. Um, and yeah, I think I, I was just thinking in my head as you were talking there that Arsenal are way too short at this current price. There's no way that should be back in the uh, back in the Gunners. But given the way that Leeds play, it could actually play into Arsenal's hands this game. Uh, Leeds are obviously all over the pitch. They're playing such a high-press, high-intensity game that, that I think Arsenal have the cuteness to sort of cut through them, similar to what Leicester did. And, and we've, we know that Arsenal, are, they're not afraid to sit in, soak pressure and then counter-attack, um, which is obviously what we saw when they went to Manchester United and, and picked up that 1-0 win. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Arsenal win this match, but I still think that they're too short. <laughs> I still think that they're too short. Uh, this Arsenal loving um, for them to be this price away at Leeds, a team that that are, in my opinion, in the top twelve teams in the Premier League, and there isn't, in my opinion, not too much between these two teams. I think that that price is just too short. You know, you look at the underlying process of of both Leeds' expected goal difference is at minus one point seven, Arsenal's at zero point one. So there's, you know, there isn't much there. Um, Arsenal obviously. Four wins, four defeats. Leeds, you could argue Leeds have played a tougher schedule than Arsenal as well. And uh, and that's definitely something that, that is needs to be taken into account. And um, yeah, the, at the same time, you look at Leeds and, and the, the prices that they've been going off in matches. Uh, and you almost have to chuckle at that as well. The fact that they went off at six to four at home to Leicester, who are now top of the table. Um, and, and around the same price away at Crystal Palace. It, it's always a pretty tough place to go. Um yeah, I, I think the, the market is really struggling to figure both of these two teams out. And the Infocom model is also finding it difficult to sort of pigeonhole these two teams because you've got both of them throw in some really impressive performances. You know, Leeds at, at Aston Villa, for example, was a, a fantastic display at home to Manchester City. They were excellent. They deserved it, the three points in that game. But then they go and put in performances against Leicester and Crystal Palace. They just make you, make you wonder, that are they actually relegation candidates this season? Um, you know, like I said, they're only 
I say only seven points uh, they are clear of the relegation zone, but they're down in 15th after what was a really impressive start. And then Arsenal, obviously, the, the game against Manchester United was a really good win. Um, but then they sandwiched that with with defeat at Leicester uh, against Leicester and Aston Villa at home. So, yeah, I find it difficult to sort of put my finger on both of the two, both of these teams, and what we're going to expect from them week, week in and week out. But given what we've seen from Arsenal and, and the way that they are trying to keep things a little bit tighter under Mikel Arteta, um, shown by the process, averaging one point two seven expected goals for per game. 1.26 expected goals against per game. I think that we could be in for a bit of a cagey game, um, cagey affair at Ellen Road. Um, so, you know, although the the, the recent score lines would suggest that Leeds are, you know, a high scoring team to follow, which they have been so far this season, um, I think I'm going to take the unders. 53% chance on the model, 42% on the market, just because of the way Arsenal are likely to set up here and, um, They'll be looking to keep a clean sheet and probably win this game 1-0, uh, which is unfortunately boring for the neutral who are going to be watching this game. But um, I think it's highly likely. And we've spoke about at length Arsenal's attacking issues. Um, you know, obviously, we always go back to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. He seems to be the the, the marker. He scored two goals from 1.27 expected goals this season, averaging 0.16 expected goals per average match. And I think one of those goals was a penalty. So take that out of the equation, he's, he's, he's got on the end of just 0.47 expected goals in 752 minutes of football. So that is a a decent guide as to where this Arsenal attacking unit is at. And basically, it's not very good. Um, Arteta isn't utilising them very well, the players that he's got. As I've said before, I think they're too rigid when they're attacking. Uh, it seems as though everyone's looking around and go, right, I've got to stand here. I've been told to stand here. Um, I've got to go here. I've got to pass the ball here. Rather than it being off the cuff, you know, you think back to Arsene Wenger's Arsenal teams and the way that they were just breathtaking uh, in the way that they attacked, moved the ball quickly, one touch, two touch. It was all just sort of off the cuff and um, a little bit flair. But we're not seeing that with this Arsenal team. And I think that as the season progresses, we will see a lot more low scoring Arsenal matches than we will high scoring. So I'm going to take the unders. I think it's a decent price. Um, what did you say the price was around? 2.3 2.31 yeah like yeah i think that's a, a very very decent price to to get involved with the under two and a half obviously like leeds are they can be really high scoring and, and don't get me wrong i won't be surprised if leeds won this game quite handily maybe two or three nil because arsenal uh as they showed against aston villa are very vulnerable um and leeds have the capabilities to to really create problems so i won't you know it's one of those games where i just think that the arsenal are too short I think this could easily be a pick because I could see any single result from this match. But under two and a half is, is for me, standing out as a bet. Yeah, I mean, I, you mentioned there about the game, maybe or hopefully not being a boring game, but it's it, everything's pointing to it, isn't it? And not to be boring in terms of our predictions challenge, but the, the under 2.5 is the obvious one from a, from a pinnacle perspective as well. Arsenal's attacking woes are just clear for everyone to see. Um, leads a few games where we've we've seen big score lines where potentially it shouldn't have been or there shouldn't have been actually that many goals so similar for Pinnacle the, the under 2.5 is the obvious play for us so we're going to have to go the same with you on that one yeah I, I think it, obviously Arsenal set up in a, in a back three or back five now and you've seen Leeds' games against teams that set up in that manner um, particularly Sheffield United and Wolves they've both been quite tight cagey low scoring affairs so 
um, that's a decent gauge really to, to sort of like understand what you're going to expect in this match. Well, now we'll move on to Liverpool versus Leicester. A, another good game to come back to after the, the international break, but it's it's been a little bit tainted by, by Liverpool's just ridiculous injury list. Van Dijk, we obviously know about Alexander-Arnold before the international break, but Gomez, Thiago, Henderson, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Salah got COVID, potentially Andrew Robertson injured while playing for Scotland as well. Fabinho only just coming back. I mean, it's you're looking at kind of seven of their their starting eleven. Um, I don't really feel like we're analysing Liverpool versus Leicester here. It's it's obviously a, a different Liverpool team that we're looking at. I'm not really sure what they're going to do. They they still have decent options in attack, but it's it's going to be difficult to keep out Leicester with your second, third, or or even fourth choice players in defence. Um, Leicester are sitting top of the table. I'm getting kind of deja vu from from last season. <laughs> they, I'm not going to ask you the question. You're ready for my started. sweeping statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, they aren't they, winning the title. <laughs> they yeah, look good. They look good based on results. Um, they look good based on sort of bare expected goals as well. But when you really dig into it, you take away their penalties and they'd be way down in the bottom half of the table. I can't remember what it is now, but I know the pod before the last international break, we talked about a lot of penalties. They then got two more against Wolves. Obviously, one scored, one missed. Um, It's not to say that they won't do well this season, but that attacking process is just unsustainable at the moment and they need to put in some some better non-penalty XG to be considered a, I wouldn't even say genuine top four, probably top six contender. Um. I'm sure it will come as no surprise to learn as well that we've had some some pretty big swing swings in the betting market since the the injury news has come out. Um, at one point in time, Liverpool were up at nearly sixty five percent chance of a win. They're now just a touch above fifty percent at one point nine two five. So ten percent plus swing in, in the odds there is is pretty crazy. I think the the biggest I can remember seeing for quite some time. Um, Leicester still underdogs, but given more of a chance now, they're up to 25% chance of a win from around 17% chance. Um, the goal market hasn't actually moved that much and it's, it's sticking on three goals with, um, the under just about the favorite. There's a lot, a lot to think about for this one, Jake. We, we normally say one player isn't too important in soccer with the, the squads that teams have. It's, it's not like a quarterback in the NFL who's, who's worth a good few points, but, I can't remember a team being as decimated as Liverpool are at the moment. Do you think the odds have got it right? Is there, is there any value here? I think that there's still value back in Liverpool, purely based on what we've seen from Leicester this season. Um, yes, Liverpool are decimated, but you know we talk about squad depth and, and Liverpool have a really deep squad of, of quality players. You know, Fabinho's coming back in to, at centre-half. I think Matip, obviously, is fit. Uh, can play alongside him. That's a decent enough centre-back pairing. Trent Alexander-Arnold's out. Um, James Milner can fill in there, who's you know more than adequate replacement. Um, and if I remember rightly, they signed a, a left-back in the transfer window from Greece. Is it Simak? I can't remember. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But he, he's, yeah, the guy from Olympiakos. Yeah, think, he's played it? a couple of games um, so far this season and looked and looked like a decent replacement, um, or should be able to deputise adequately for, for Andy Robertson. Uh, and then, you've, you know, in midfield, I think Henderson's a doubt as well. Um, Thiago could come back into the fold if he's fit. But even so, you've got the likes of Wijnaldum who, who who can play. Curtis Jones has been playing a little bit more. 
uh, and he's been playing well. He can come in there. So they've got options. Uh, and even if Salah's not there, you've still got a front three of uh, of Jota, Firmino and Mane. Or you could even drop Shakiri in, in there. I know he's played a bit in midfield as well as Shakiri. So um, they, they, they've got options. They've got a, a deep squad. And I just think that that price on Liverpool to win at home, uh, it's at Anfield as well. They've got such a record at Anfield. Um, and yeah, the, the way that it's drifted is it, to me is baffling. It's not really taking into account the strength of squad that Liverpool have at their disposal um, and the, the sort of relative ease in which they dealt with Leicester last season. Um, you know, they, they went to Leicester and won 4 0 quite emphatically. Uh, they also beat Leicester 2 1 at Anfield last season and they won the XG battle. Absolutely monstrously in both 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 matches. I think it was three point seven xG to zero point one at Anfield last season, um, and at the King Power is it was zero point one five to three point seven. So Brendan Rodgers hasn't fared very well recently against Liverpool, um, and I, I don't see any reason why that still wouldn't be the case. I mean, you know, we spoke about Leicester's penalty sort of winning there. The, the eight penalties they've won in eight matches, which is highly unsustainable over the course of the season, and um, that means that 44% of Leicester's expected goals for total has come from penalties this season, which is an absolutely colossal amount compared to the rest of the league. Uh, Sheffield United sits second with 28% of their expected goals coming from penalties. Manchester United at 25% of their expected goals coming from penalties. So there's a massive difference in um, in what Leicester are doing compared to the rest of the league in terms of non-penalty expected goals. So they're averaging just 1.01 non-penalty expected goals per game, which is... Um, really worrying for for a team that, for the most part of last season, looked like a really strong attacking team. They've fallen off a cliff in that sense. Um, defensively, they've looked pretty solid all season, 1.23 expected goals against per game. But they haven't yet faced um, you know what, what we would call a, a big side in terms of um, one of the, the top teams. Obviously, they, they, they went to Manchester City and... I mean, they racked up three expected goals, but 2.4 expected goals of that came from three penalties. Um, so that other than that match, they haven't played a, a top attacking team. And I think that Liverpool could expose this Leicester team. I know that they're playing a back three. They brought in that uh, Fafana from St Etienne, who's looked like a really, really good player. But this is going to be a big test for him. Um, and I think that Liverpool, even with the depleted squad, have more than enough to make a mockery of this price. I mean, they're touching even money, which is, is pretty laughable, really, for the champ- the champions. Even when they play their, their second-string squad in, in cup competitions, Champions League, wherever, they usually win matches because they are, um, you know, the second string is so good. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be impressive. It's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. But at the current prices, I mean, the model's got Infogol, at, uh, the Infogol model's got Liverpool at 63% chance of winning. That's obviously doesn't take into account the team issues. I think even with a depleted squad, I probably still would put Liverpool at around a, a 56, 57% chance of winning this game. So there's huge value in backing um, Jurgen Klopp's side to get the win. And, and that's definitely where I'd be going in this. I think that that is, um, it's just a, a price that you have to back at that, uh, at, at the current state of affair, just not only because of Liverpool having the, the firepower to sort of, bring in good replacements, but also the fact that Leicester haven't really shown too much this season um, for, from my perspective, other than being able to win penalties. Right, so our next game, we've got Burnley versus Crystal Palace. And um, 
I'm not sure many are going to have this down as a, a potential thriller, but you never know. Must watch. Yeah. Uh, Crystal Palace, they've, they've done well this season. They started well with the wins against Southampton and Manchester United. They then had a little bit of a blip, but uh, another impressive result for them before the international break with that 4-1 win against Leeds. A bit um, deceiving in terms of their position in the table, but but one of those ones where we've come to kind of expect that from them. No fear of relegation, but I think it's it's top half's probably going to be going to be a bit of a stretch. Um, you mentioned it before, I think, with them if they if they take the lead, you're in trouble. But if they go behind, they really haven't got much to to take the game to their opponents. Um, I think Burnley are actually quite similar in that respect. They've they've always drawn plaudits for their defence. I'm not too sure that especially what we've seen in attack from them so far. And I know they had injury issues as well, but that solid defence, I don't think that's going to be enough for them this season. They need to do a lot more than than what we've seen. We keep talking about them and the the relegation contention. It really didn't look likely at the start of the season. We were confused around the odds, but but still no win in seven. It's it's not going to be long before a a gap opens up if they they don't get a win soon. Um, Looking at the odds, it's... I mean, it's as, as evenly split as they come. 2.87 on Burnley, uh, 2.88 on Crystal Palace and 3.04 um, on the draw. So in terms of the, the percentages we've got there, it's, it's pretty much 34-35% on, on both of the the Burnley and the, the Crystal Palace win and then 30% on the draw. It's, as we said, it's it's not going to be a thriller. It's, it's not one that's going to draw in the, the audience of neutrals. But is there something from a betting perspective that might be of interest, Jake? Yeah, get Burnley on side in this one. I think the the market, obviously, you've said they're so evenly split that they're basically suggesting that a neutral venue, Crystal Palace, would be favourites. And, and I don't quite agree with that. I think that Burnley, although they have had struggles this season, especially in attack, there are signs that they are getting, or at least very least, trending towards levels that we would expect to see from them. Um, and they actually boast a better expected goals process than, than Crystal Palace do. So um, fascinated to see that, that Crystal Palace are, well, that, that, this, that Burnley aren't short of favourites really for this game. And the, the model's got them at 46% chance. I think that's a little bit too short. Obviously, like I said, it's taken into account the last... Uh, however many games, 38, 30, 40 games, weighted to the most recent 10 or 15. So Burnley obviously were ex- excellent last season and finishing 10th. Uh, and that sort of factored a little bit into their prize. But I still think I would still put them around 40, 41% chance of winning this game. And um, they've got a fully fit squad now. They've got a, obviously a forward line that is a massive threat. Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes playing up front. I think last game against Brighton, they played with Robbie Brady and McNeil as wide players. So that was a little bit more adventurous. They didn't create too much, but um, the you know the intention was there to be a little bit more uh, attack-minded. They've got some good options on the bench now as well. Jay Rodriguez, obviously, can come in. They've got um, Jean-Bert Goodmanson as well, who can come in off the bench and, and make a difference. Matej Vidra. So I think they, they're in a better place now than they were at the start of the season with, obviously, players coming back to fitness and, and it is now just a case of them um, creating the chances and scoring goals because defensively they've been really, really solid. They've averaged just 1.2 expected goals against per game. Compare that to Crystal Palace who've averaged 1.7 expected goals against per game so far this season. So uh, Burnley have conceded 12 times from 8.5 expected goals. Crystal Palace 12 times from 13.6 expected goals. Just to put that in perspective. So Crystal Palace have actually been defensively worse than Burnley um, and only marginally better um, in in attack uh, from a 
expected goals per game point of view. So, yeah, I think this is a it's a really good opportunity for Burnley to get points on the board. Um, Crystal Palace, especially away from home, uh, have looked even more vulnerable, averaging one point eight expected goals against per game. Obviously, Burnley yet to score at home, but they're they're, they're knocking on the door. They've created a couple of big chances in matches. I think against Tottenham, um, which was obviously a, a game in which they won the XG battle. They created a big chance just before Tottenham uh, took the lead. Game of fine margins, that one. Um, and I don't see a reason why this won't be something similar to fine margins. But at some point, those fine margins will go in Burnley's way. And I think that th- this is a good opportunity for them to get three points on the board. Right. So our, our last game of, of the weekend is, is Wolves versus Southampton. And We've spoken about a few teams in terms of a comparison to last season and, and Wolves are one that, I mean, they've, they've disappointed quite a bit from my perspective. Had they beaten Leicester, they'd actually have been in the top four, but they they don't even deserve to be where they are in ninth based on their performances so far. And I, I don't know whether Jota meant that much to them or I don't know whether it's that the, you'd, you'd see Europa League as a, as a negative normally with fixture congestion, but... They were obviously playing a lot better uh, at this time of the the season last year, um, but they're they're just not doing a great deal going forward. They they have to rely on their defence to give them any sort of chance of winning a game at the moment. Southampton also they're they're in the top four, but similarly they've they've been a little bit fortunate. It kind of sounds strange to say that. I think normally I'm banging on about how unlucky they actually are, but they've they've got a pretty balanced process. They. They could struggle without Danny Ings. Che Adams, he he looks good. I'm I'm not too sure that's going to be enough to get them past a team like Wolves, though. Um, the the odds do favour the home side here. Two point three seven on Wolves means that that they've got a forty one percent win probability. Southampton get twenty nine percent with their odds of three point three, um, and it's thirty percent for the draw at three point three three. No surprise on this one to see a, a low total at two and two point five. Betters are all for the uh, the under in this one. It's got all the makings of a tight game, and a, I guess a case could be made for either side. Is there is there anything that's that's worth a bet in this one? Do you think, Jake? Yeah, I think at the prices you've got to get Wolves on side. Um, as, as good as Southampton have been, they are they are flattered to be sat fourth in the table. Uh, their games have been so tight in terms of expected goals. They've scored um, at a rate that's unsustainable over the course of a season. Sixteen goals from ten expected goals. So. Um, that's something that isn't going to continue. You can see that in their most recent matches. Obviously, uh, against West Brom, they created just 1.23 expected goals. At Burnley, it was 0.55. Um, at home to Everton, it was 0.75. At Villa, 0.88. And, and just one expected goal against Newcastle. So they are really struggling to create chances. They're just being very clinical with those opportunities at, at good times in the match as well. Getting themselves ahead and then being able to, to sort of contain their opponents and... Um, I think, again, the, the first goal in this match is crucial. I think whoever gets this first goal is going to win. Um, if there is a first goal, I wouldn't be surprised to see 0-0. But, yeah, I, I think that, that I have my doubts about whether Southampton can keep this going. They've obviously... Last season, they were they were unfortunate um, for most of the season. This season, they're getting that little bit of fortune that, that perhaps eluded them last season. I don't think it's going to continue, though. And I think that this, this Wolves team... You know they fall into that same bracket as Manchester City, Manchester United, in terms of the the late European exploits, and the fact that they perhaps they're, they're perhaps struggling for rhythm and, and match fitness after a long season and a short preseason. And <clears throat> I definitely think that that's something that that's contributed to their somewhat sluggish to the eye start to the season. Although thirteen points from eight matches is still not a bad return. 
they they win this match, they go level with um, with Southampton in, in fourth. So it's a good opportunity for them to climb the table. Um, they continue to be a really difficult team to play against. You know, they they're not they don't concede many chances. 1.02 expected goals against Fulham, 1.29 against Leeds, 0.27 against Newcastle, 0.94 against Crystal Palace. And then even the Leicester game, I mean, yeah, the Wolves didn't create too much themselves, but they limited Leicester to just 0.49 non-penalty expected goals. So, you know, they, they, they still look um, one of the most solid teams defensively in the entire Premier League. And, and I think that, that that will mean that Southampton are kept in check here and... Um, I think that based on the firepower on the pitch, you would have to argue Wolves have got the better attacking talent um, from the starting 11s that are available. So, although it's going to be low scoring and a draw wouldn't be a surprise, there is value in backing Wolves to win at Molyneux. We're giving them a 53% chance of winning compared to 41% on the market. And that, to me, does seem a little bit too short from the Infocom model perspective. I'd probably put them closer to to 47, um, but still make them a strong value play. Just just out of pure respect to what Southampton have done defensively as well. So um, I, I still would put Wolves up as, to win as, as the main bet in this game. I think that, that at the prices, you have to get them on side. Um, I'd also perhaps look at uh, opposing both teams to score as well. Um, the model's at 54% chance of both teams to score no. Markets... 50-50 split um, so there's there's a, a small margin there to get on side with uh, opposing one or both teams to, to hit the net but Wolves are at the current prices I think uh, are definitely worth taking a chance on Well that is it for, for game week 9 that's our, our 10 games done now and it's just a case of waiting getting those bets in and, and waiting for the games to get underway appreciate the time as always Jake thanks for, for coming on and sharing some expert analysis of the games yeah, anytime, Ben. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening. If you do want to take your analysis to the next level and look at the data that we've discussed in more detail, remember to visit infogold.net, download the app on iOS and Android and follow at Infogold app on Twitter. You'll also get plenty of help with your predictions by following at Pinnacle on Twitter and reading the articles that can be found on the betting resources section of the Pinnacle website. All of the odds for this weekend's action are now live on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with your bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.